Welcome to the City Business Festival on a series. This week we're discussing the role of COVID or the effect of COVID on businesses and thinking of how to not just survive but to thrive as businesses and also as a country. And my guest this uh, session is going to help us think through these ideas with a very interesting topic he's captioned the temporary window speed and the old normal now couching it as best as he can is michael koto michael great to have you on the show uh, thank you bernard it's, uh, it's a pleasure to join you for those who don't know just tell us a bit about yourself i know you are into confidant you also do something with afro champions just give <laughs> us a quick overview of who you are Okay, so I'm managing partner at uh, Confidence. Confidence is a management consulting firm. Um, we're based out of Accra, Ghana, but a lot of our work is Africa-focused. So we've got a network of consultants all over the continent. And we do advisory work, public sector advisory work, private sector advisory work. We advise in international organizations, and we do work in all sectors. Mm-hmm. Um, in another capacity, I serve as... Uh, Head of Strategy and Research for Africa Champions. Africa Champions is a, is a public-private partnership network of uh, major African corporations that work closely with uh, with African Union and African governments to to accelerate private sector participation in African integration issues. Great. The, the, your topic is very interesting. The temporary window, speed, and the new normal. I th- I think that's the caption you gave. Although I think yeah, I think that's the caption you gave the, the topic. I mean. <laughs> What is this? <laughs> okay, Bernard. So, you know, COVID has COVID has disrupted virtually every aspect of life mm-hmm. and economy and politics as we know it. And everywhere you look in the world, mm-hmm. um, everywhere practically, including in Africa, in our own country, Ghana, there's a sense that the world is changing. Mm-hmm. There's a sense that we're entering some sort of new age, new normal. It's become the common uh, uh, word, the common expression for how for how we're thinking about life in the new in this new, new era. Preparing the new for normal. life in the new normal. Preparing for life in the new normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, life in the post-COVID era. Mm-hmm. That's the typical angle that we all come at come at it from. And 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 in a sense, is that justified? <laughs> I mean, we're sitting in this studio and we are in masks <laughs> whilst we are talking, yeah. and and it's incredible. Um, you you can't enter any building, any public building, whether it's a shop or an office, without having to wash your hands and sanitize. And everything is changing. We're all having meetings at home. Um, we're all working from home. Uh, conferences that you know just a few months ago could never, you could never imagine, could have been held uh, over over video conferencing. Uh, things that we all would have had to travel and fly several. Uh, miles to go and participate in are all being done. People sitting in their homes, not even in their offices, sitting in their homes and, and doing conferences and meetings. So it is indeed the, the case that the disruptions that COVID has brought are indeed phenomenal. So, yes, uh, a lot of people, you know, business people, policymakers are all thinking about how we approach the world beyond COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Ghana, I think that we've all recognized the significant impact that COVID has had on impact, the impact that COVID has had on our industry. Mm-hmm. But the, I we, think we, there's we, a question we, I want yeah. to ask you, though. So this new normal that we talk about, is it a permanent new normal? Or is it, you know, we have a cliched mindset. So once everybody starts saying it's a new normal, it starts using it. But how, how should we think about this new normal? 
So before I come to that, okay. you'd have to think about it in terms of the impact that COVID has had okay. on the economy. And, and I'll talk about two main kinds of sensitivities that, mm-hmm. that uh, we should, you, you know. So, so, so there's one set of sectors and industries that uh, have had a negative sensitivity to COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, hospitality, tourism, aviation, entertainment, sports, youth mm-hmm. events, you name it. Th- these, these, are, these are sectors that have had a very unfortunate negative sensitivity to, to COVID. The impact on, on these sectors have been huge. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we don't collect a lot of data on employment on, and, and, and stuff like that in Ghana. So we don't really have the numbers. Mm-hmm. But the but impact has been, has been huge. Mm-hmm. Then, then you have a, set, a second set of sectors that you can say have a positive sensitivity to COVID. Okay. So you want to talk about um, the obvious one being the telcos mm-hmm. uh, and ISPs. They've, they've made huge gains during this COVID because everybody's having to revert mm-hmm. to working mm-hmm. online and using online communication tools. You know, so they made a lot of money. So the Zooms, the, so the, MTNs, Zooms and the MTNs and, and the all rest. these people. And, and one, but you know, one sector that you would have thought would have benefited from COVID is, is you know, the, the, the hospitals. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, some of the initial research that uh, I've been involved in shows that hospitals have actually suffered a lot as a result of COVID. Is it? Yeah, because people are scared to go to hospitals even when they are, when they are not well. Uh-huh. So you, a few you know, hospital administrators that I've spoken to will tell you that there, there's been a huge drop in you know, OPD attendance. Uh-huh. There's been a huge drop in, uh, in revenues. Um, I went to one of the major private hospitals in Accra. Mm. The place was virtually empty. There's only pregnant women who are showing mm. up. So, so hospitals, and you'd have thought that if you're in a medical emergency, hospitals should be one of the sectors that benefit. It hasn't been the case. On the other hand, retail pharmacy okay. has done pretty well. Okay. Because we're all going to the pharmacies to self-medicate. If you're not, well, we're scared to go to the hospitals. <laughs> but everybody you know, goes to the you know, next retail pharmacy shop. Mm. So the pharmacies have done well and hospitals have suffered. Mm. Now, if if you look at it as an economy, mm-hmm. and you know the recent one billion CD stimulus support to industry that the government mm-hmm. has rolled out, uh, I've been monitoring the NBSSI support process, and you know close to about fourteen thousand businesses have applied the last time I checked. Mm-hmm. So there's an effort to help all sectors mm-hmm. that have are struggling, and indeed mm-hmm. you know the majority of sectors are struggling. So the net effect isn't that good. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and so there's an effort to help, you know, there's, there's a lot of lobbying to, to lift the social restrictions uh-huh. so that, uh-huh. you know, key industries like, like the hospitality and tourism and travel and, uh-huh. and all these other sectors that uh-huh. are hugely impacted can come back on stream. And this is all fine. Uh-huh. But I'm not too worried about the sectors that are struggling. Okay. Because they will definitely bounce back with time. What I'm worried about is whether as a country... And as industry, we are positioned to be able to take advantage of the opportunities that COVID has also brought. Okay. And I'm not sure that we are having the kinds of national conversations that we should be having in that regard. So when I talk about the old normal, okay, I'm talking about it from a certain point of view. And that point of view is that COVID has provoked certain opportunities, but those opportunities are temporary opportunities. Okay. They are not okay. permanent opportunities. Okay. You can think about it in terms of crisis opportunities. Okay. So you think about things like sanitizers mm-hmm. uh, and PPEs and masks. You've got a lot of people who have retooled their industries just to, to, to make these products. Mm-hmm. Right? But these are opportunities that are not permanent. Mm. They've come simply because global supply chains are temporarily disrupted. Mm-hmm. 
and there has been a necessity for local producers to meet the demand for these goods. Now, if the crisis disappears, the opportunity goes. These opportunities disappear. Mm. So these are not permanent opportunities. Okay. And if the crisis disappears, and the way the crisis disappears is not simply because we find a cure for it. We may find a cure or a vaccine, and we may be able to move beyond COVID. But even without a cure or a vaccine, life is going to move on. Mm. The world is going to have to find a way to live with COVID. Mm. So either way, life will move on. Mm. And when life moves on, the disruptions in global supply chains that have enabled local producers to be able to fill the temporary gap in the market is going to gradually disappear mm. because global supply chains are going to bounce back. So the old normal will not take this line so down. So the old normal mm. isn't going anywhere. The way to think about this is to think about it in terms of the new old normal. Wow. <laughs> the new old normal because the wealth system as we have it never really changes. Mm. The big guys who have the capabilities and the resources always dominate and they always win. Hmm. So even if some of the most powerful companies in the world are going bankrupt, that doesn't necessarily mean that the old normal is substantially transformed. Hmm. As life picks, as, 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 li as life moves on, whether with COVID or beyond COVID, you're going to have a situation where global supply chains rebound mm -hmm. and they are going to rebound and they are going to come back with a vengeance. Wow. Because they are like wounded lions. Mm. So when they bounce back, they are bouncing back to come and um, uh, recapture the markets that they've lost. Um, they, they, some of these, these major global producers and distributors uh, may have new owners, but it's the same old normal as we're in a new phase. Okay. So, so, these are temporary opportunities and the way to think about them is in terms of what do you do when you are confronted with a temporary opportunity that is not going to be there forever how do you think about how you capitalize these kinds of opportunities mm. and, 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 and that's the kind of conversation we should be having and I'm not hearing a lot of that kind of conversation most of the conversation we are having are really around how we help the depressed sectors of the economy to rebound but as I've said I'm not too worried about these because they'll rebound but these temporary opportunities will not always be there. Wow. And we need a shift in mindset in terms of how we appreciate the temporary nature of these opportunities, as well as what we need to do in order to capitalize them before they disappear. And that's why speed mm. is probably the single most important thing that should be on our minds. Speed. Speed. And when I talk of speed, I'm talking of speed across several uh, uh, important strategic variables. And I'll come to them. Mm -hmm. But... Perhaps it helps to talk about the sectors in which these opportunities are. Okay. Um, before we talk about the kind of quick movement that we need, need in order to be able to cap capitalize Super. on these opportunities. Super. So this is the City Business Festival. My guest is Michael Koto of Confidant and Afro Champions. And today we're really trying to understand the temporary window speed and the old normal. The, the, the opportunity COVID presents and the necessity of speed. It set us off nicely by telling us who the uh, losers are those who are negatively sensitive to COVID and the positively sensitive, the winners. And then it's also then said that the new normal may not last because the, there will be an, a new old normal is coming back. So now you say you want to talk about the opportunities and the sectors before we come back to the speed concept. Yes. 
Yeah, so, I mean, but if you think about it, the, the, the opportunities are really in the areas of production, value addition, and manufacturing. Production, value, value addition, and, and manufacturing. manufacturing. And it cuts across all sectors. Um, some of the immediate sectors that come to mind, and, and the first one is the pharmaceutical mm-hmm. manufacturing sector. Mm-hmm. We've got a couple of manufacturing, local manufacturing, uh, pharmaceutical manufacturing companies. Uh, but they, 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 they have just about between 25 and 30% of the entire pharmaceutical mm-hmm. market in this country. Mm-hmm. About a little over 70% of our local pharmaceutical supplies are all imported. Mm-hmm. And one of the immediate impacts of COVID was to reveal to us that it is actually quite dangerous as a country to, 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 to have over, over 70% of our pharmaceutical supplies being imported. And it's not only a country like Ghana that learned this lesson. Mm-hmm. It's a big lesson that even the most powerful countries in Europe and North America learned. Mm-hmm. And in the midst of the COVID crisis, um, it became obvious that the Americans and the Europeans all started talking about the need to begin to rebalance this over-dependency on distant supply chains, the likes of China and India, which had become the de facto factory of the world, mm. especially in the areas of pharmaceuticals and medical supplies. Mm. So th- th- there's globally a new consensus that when it comes to the sector of manuf- manufacturing pharmaceuticals and medical goods, it is absolutely important to have an important component of the total demand being localized and being produced by local producers. So obviously, this is an area that we need to pay particular attention to because the opportunity is obvious. Mm. Um, and then there's food and beverage. Mm-hmm. This is another sector where the vulnerabilities of our overdependence on imports mm-hmm. for these sectors was again revealed by the COVID crisis. Mm-hmm. And again, there's significant consensus practically everywhere that when it comes to food production, beverages, this extremely important goods that we need for basic survival. When you say food and beverage, should we include agric in there or separate? Agric is there. So agric, crops and livestock, Crop and plus, livestock plus food, food and beverage. So processed, you okay. know, agriculture and then agri-processing. You okay. think about it in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are, there, are, there are a host of other, other sectors, uh, fast-moving consumables, mm-hmm. um, detergents, household office and industrial consumables, mm-hmm. uh, clothing, as well as a host of inter- intermediate goods that are necessary uh, for, for the manufacturing and processing of all these other categories of goods. Mm-hmm. You, 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 you'd have to look at it across this very broad scope. Okay. Both, both primary production, intermediate manufacturing, and, and final uh, uh, manufacturing and processing. Mm-hmm. And you have to think about it across all kinds of sectors. Mm-hmm. Now, the question then becomes, how much time do we have? If mm-hmm. it's a temporary window of opportunity, how much time do we have? Uh, before this opportunity, the temporary window begins to close. Mm. Because the window will close at some point in time. It's not going to be a permanent... It's not a permanent window. So you, you, you've got to look at the opportunities in the sectors that I've, I've mentioned, but you've got to think about them in terms of, okay, you've got a limited window. The window is going to close at some point in time if global supply chains begin to bound, rebound. And what do you do within this limited mm. period of time? But does that mean that whatever you do within that window... Even though the window is permanent, you can do it such that even if the global supply chains come back, you'd have built enough resilience. You'd have built enough resilience. You'd have built enough capabilities. You'd have built enough 
market recognition um, so that by the time they rebound, um, you've built a certain capability and strength mm. uh, to be able to begin to compete with them. Mm. But, you know, mind you that even though global supply chains have disrupted, they've not been completely cut off. I mean, during this COVID period, it's not as if we've run out of uh, all the all the major import, imports that we depend on in, in, in Ghana. Mm-hmm. If you go to the grocery shop, if you go to, to the corner shop, um, practically all the, the goods on the shelves are still imported, imported goods. So it's not as if when global supply chains got disrupted, then the imports stopped flocking in. Yes, we do have some stock mm-hmm. uh, in warehouses that have been, you know, but it's also the case that even though travel bans were imposed, international flights and travel bans were imposed, uh, these bans did not affect cargo. Cargo, yes. Okay. So to some extent, global supply chains have continued to function. Mm-hmm. It's just that they've been restrained. Mm-hmm. So the nature of the temporary window of opportunity is not just the disruption in the global supply chains. There's a second dimension to, to, to this temporary window of opportunity that is even more important than the disruption in the, the global supply chains. And that's what I call the disruption in the mindset, mm. in the global mindset, the, what used to be the global consensus around how global production and, and manufacturing and supply chains should be organized. Everywhere in the world, it's incredible, experts everywhere in the industry and in government have come to a new consensus that it is dangerous to be over-reliant on distant supply chains such that when there's a national crisis, you can't respond. You can't respond. And therefore, mm-hmm. as a matter of whether you, talk, you call it national security, mm-hmm. Or national resilience. National self-reliance. National self-reliance. Mm-hmm. There is an argument mm-hmm. for localizing as much of your supply chains as possible, especially around certain categories of sensitive goods that you just cannot. So this is not even regionalizing. It's, it's just, localizing. It's, well, it's localizing and regionalizing. So, mm. so if you think about it, it's about bringing it much closer to you. Than, so certainly China cannot remain the factory of the world. It, 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 it shouldn't. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't. So there the, is a disruption in this l- dominant logic that has ruled the world for the last 30 years of globalization. Mm. In Europe, in North America, mm-hmm. they all come into this new consensus that it's important to regionalize and localize a lot of your supply chains. And this disruption in this global mindset it's the more critical window of opportunity that we need to pay attention to. It's even more important than the disruption in the actual supply chain. So, so your concern is that we don't seem to even be thinking about that here. We're not. We're not. And we need to have a big national conversation about this because you know what happens? Once global supply chains rebound, this window of opportunity in the global mindset that this new thinking that we need to begin to regionalize and localize as much of our supply chains as, as much as possible may also disappear. So right now, it's become more acceptable mm-hmm. to focus on local content and nationalization and localization of, of certain critical production and manufacturing. You can do it now. I'm not sure if the state of mind of the world will be the same in three years' time. Mm. Or four years' time when this is this is all over. <laughs> so it's like you've got to strike while 
The iron is hot. Iron is hot. So, so global supply chains are a bit disrupted. That creates local demand for local production. Mm-hmm. But the wealth system, mm-hmm. which has, which has foisted this ideology on on the rest of all of us, mm-hmm. and for which Europe and America and North America and and all of the advanced countries are also coming to to learn this lesson now. That for me is the even more important second window of opportunity. So, so the window of opportunity that I talk about, the temporary windows of opportunity that I talk about are two. The first one is, is, is the temporary disruption in global supply chains that is creating a local demand for local production. Mm-hmm. But the second window of opportunity, which is also temporary, is this disruption in this mindset. Okay. And the new consensus that you should localize and regionalize as much of your production as much as possible. Mm-hmm. But in Ghana, are we having this kind of conversation? I've heard a president and government move in that direction. Mm-hmm. And, and in the early days of, of the crisis, I, I remember very well when the president has, you know, someone, certain critical captains of mm-hmm. industry, mm-hmm. including in the pharmaceutical sector, and, and charge them to, 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 to see the COVID crisis as an opportunity. Mm-hmm. So, I, so I think the president and, and government have been thinking in this direction. But I'm not sure whether in terms of speed, mm-hmm. whether in terms of the sense of agency, and the sense that this opportunity is a temporary opportunity that we need to capitalize and move quickly to take advantage of before the window closes, I don't hear that conversation. Mm. And that's the kind of conversation I think we should be having more. It's extremely important. Because you know why, Bernard? It's taken us over 50 years to come to a point where virtually the rest of the world, including the powerful countries in Europe and North America who have continued to insist on globalization and global supply chains are all kind of aligning around this new consensus that you need to localize and regionalize certain aspects of your supply chain. And I'm not sure, again, as I say, that this consensus will last. Mm. So, so, so we need to strike while the iron is hot. And I think that we're not having that conversation around the sense of agency. And, 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 and I'll talk about speed and the sense of agency. Mm. Um, Mm. The, 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 if we need speed, how much time do we have? I'll probably say six months. Wow. I'll probably say six months because, not because we'll find a vaccine. So essentially, in six for the rest of 2020. For the rest of if 2020. If we don't do something by end of I, this year, I, I don't gone. think it's because it's, a, it's more symbolic. Mm. If the year ends, and I don't think we'll find a vaccine or a cure, I'm, 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 I'm skeptical whether we'll find a vaccine or a cure by the end of the year. But as you can see already, people are tired. There's, there's a whole social distancing fatigue. Um, there's a whole fatigue around lockdowns. Everywhere. There's a sense that life has to move back on. And as humans, we're going to adapt to COVID. The most you can have is till the end of this year. I think there's a symbolic, you know, sort of timeline. Mm. Once we enter next year, there's going to be a sense that, look, um, let's get back to normal. So, the way I think about it is that this temporary window of opportunity is probably just a six-month window of opportunity. And as a country, and this goes beyond just industry, as a country, we've got to think about what we do to mobilize and move quickly Mm. to capitalize on these temporary windows of opportunity. We're going to have to act across certain important strategic pillars. Mm -hmm. The first one is thinking and mindset. Okay. And in terms of thinking and mindset, the key point here, and I've alluded to it already, is that 
it's the point about the necessity for self-reliance, national self-reliance uh-huh. in certain critical uh, sectors in industries and products. And what COVID has shown us is a demonstration effect. It's a proof. It's a proof of concept. Now you think about it in terms of assuming that there was a serious disruption that lasted for two years. Uh-huh. It could be a combination of uh, a pandemic and, and a major international conflict. Or it could even be a combination of two pandemics. That's possible. Uh-huh. If, you f- if we find ourselves in this kind of extreme scenario, extreme scenario, where you had not what we're experiencing now, but three times what we're experiencing now, what do we do? Mm. If we cannot get all the import supplies and, and imagine there's a pandemic that's, that's, that's combined with an inter- major international conflict. Wow. That's what do you do? Serious. So you, you, the, the, what, what COVID has done is this demonstration effect uh-huh. that you've got to think about your national resilience uh-huh. in a very different way. You've got to be able to have the capacity to produce certain percentage of a certain set of critical goods that you need for uh-huh. national survival uh-huh. as a people. Uh-huh. And this has this, 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 Thinking is not a thinking that we have the luxury of time to relax and analyze and process and debate. Mm. Again, as I said, it's a temporary window of opportunity. You've mm. got to think about it in terms of six months. So, so this realization is something that has to sink in very quickly. This, this shift in thinking has to be done with a sense of agency. Okay. And a sense of new consensus. The second one is strategy. Mm. You've got to move very quickly in how we strategize to capitalize on this temporary window of opportunity. And we've got to think about it in terms of defense and offense. Okay. So in this very temporary period, we've been able to uh, uh, capture, you know, certain share of the local market that previously wasn't available to local producers. Uh As we strategize them to capitalize on this opportunity, we need to think defense in terms of how, we make sure that we consolidate these very temporary gains. Uh-huh. And we need to think offense in terms of how we consolidate and build on these and expand. So if it sanitizes, how do we make sure that local producers going forward, even in the world beyond COVID, can produce 80% of the local demand for sanitizers? Uh-huh. Is it going to be the case that after COVID, then we revert back to normal, the old normal? And the, the, the cheap foreign imports of sanitizers start, you know, coming in again. And then we are back to probably just 15 or 10 or 20% of the, of the sanitizer market. So we've got to think both defense and offense. The third one is mobilization. Uh-huh. We need speed of mobilization to be able to take advantage of these temporary opportunities that are, that are availing uh, themselves. Uh-huh. And we need mobilization across financing, across technology, across talent, uh-huh. across logistics, and across what I call political capital. Okay. And I'll come back to political capital. Mm. But we need to be able to mobilize across financing, technology, talent, logistics, and political capital. These are extremely important if we need to be able to deploy to take advantage of these temporary opportunities. Mm-hmm. So you mobilize, then you deploy, then you execute. And as you execute, you need adaptability to moving targets because the world continues to change. And we're not sure, just as we were not sure at the beginning of this year that we're going to be struck by a pandemic mm. of, of, of this proportion, 
nobody knows what's coming next year or in the next six months. Mm. So you, you, you've got to build resilience and risk management into the whole thinking. Okay. So just to go over the list again, we need speed, but speed in what? Speed in thinking and a change in mindset. Mm-hmm. We need speed in strategy. We need speed in mobilization across financing, technology, talent, logistics, and political capital. We need speed in deploying these resources and capabilities once we mobilize them. And we need to execute when we deploy. Mm-hmm. And we need adaptability. So the, 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 these, these things are not easy to mobilize. They're not easy to do. And the reason they're not easy to do is because industry itself is weakened locally. I mean, the local industry has taken a a beating because of COVID. Yeah. So you've got a temporary window of opportunity, probably six months. But the, the industry that's supposed to take advantage of this temporary window of opportunity itself is weakened by COVID. Wow. So is it a case that there's a unique opportunity but there's no way we can capitalize on it because industry itself is weakened? Hmm. And this is where we need, I, in my opinion, two very important things in order to be able to take advantage of the temporary window of opportunity. We need partnership at industry level hmm. and we need policy to complement partnerships at industry levels. Partnerships and policy. Partnerships and policy. Amazing. This is really a very exciting part of the program. We're discussing the opportunity that COVID presents. Michael Koto is our guest. We work this way to a point where he says to respond to the opportunity that we have, we need the two Ps, partnership and policy. So let's get into partnership. What do you mean by that? So if you look at, Bernard, if you, if you, if you look at all the, all the important strategic pillars uh, that I mentioned you know, mm-hmm. thinking, strategy, mobilization, deployment, execution, adaptability, mm-hmm. and, and resilience building. These are not things that, in my opinion, any particular company mm-hmm. in Ghana, whether in the pharmaceutical sector or whether in the agricultural sector or whether in any of our manufacturing sectors, has the ability to mobilize and to capitalize on within the short window of opportunity that we have. And so you necessarily need partnerships at the industry level. And I think this is extremely important for Ghanaian industry mm-hmm. to come to this realization that to be able to take advantage of any of these opportunities, the one-person approach to business mm. will have to change. It would have to change. We're going to need strategic partnerships and alliances and consortiums wow. at the industry level to mm. be able to take advantage of these and strike as the iron is hot. Mm-hmm extremely important so partnerships in my opinion are the single most important capability that our captains of industry and our entrepreneurs will need to mobilize you don't yes you know in the midst of covid there's a lot of talk about government should provide easier financing i don't think what is needed is financing what is needed is partnerships really because you build the partnerships you build the capabilities the financing will be easier to mobilize if you're dealing with a short window of opportunity, mm. you don't have what it takes to as raise a single that level entity of capital to raise that level of and not just capital, capital, technology, technology. Uh, talent, logistics, political capital. You can't do that. You can't do that as a single entity. Mm. If you come together as a consortium, you build new partnerships. It's a lot easier to do this. Mm-hmm. So, partnerships absolutely, and in terms of partnerships. 
you, you, I think that our, our our industry folks and our entrepreneurs should think about it. You know, like the age-old principle in politics, which says they are not permanent friends. friends. They're just permanent interest. They're just permanent interest. Mm-hmm. And I think that our business people need to think about partnerships in that sense. And 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 Bernard, if I should ask you, I mean, between your friends and your rivals, who do you think you have a more uh, you have you have more in common with? Would it be your rivals or your or your friends? I think it could actually be your rivals. Well, depends. Well, I actually think you have more in common with your rivals yes. than with your friends, because your rivals are the ones who are fighting with you over the same ambition, over the same target, over the same territory. Mm. Mm. You have more in common with your rivals than with your friends. So when I talk about partnership. I want industry to think about it not in terms of their friends. They should think about their rivals. We need a partnership of rivals mm. in Ghanaian industry to be able to mobilize the kinds of resources and capabilities we need and move with a sense of agency to be able to capitalize them. And I'll probably use the pharmaceutical industry as an example. Okay. We have a couple of pharmaceuticals, mm-hmm. uh, local pharmaceutical manufacturing companies, right? But if you look at the scale of the opportunity be, before us mm-hmm. and the sense of agency that is required and the, and the level of resource mobilization and deployment that is required, mm-hmm. I think it would be absolutely fascinating mm-hmm. if we could build strategic consortiums amongst the pharmaceutical companies. Mm. Imagine if we could have, a, a, if, we, if we could move to the point where you have two powerful alliances. Mm-hmm. in the pharmaceutical sector in Ghana and with government support and with merging forces and their talent and their capabilities and their resources imagine what could be possible we could literally take on not just much of local what is needed locally we could also become very dominant in the West African and African markets so if you're dealing with a short window of opportunity you don't have time form partnerships and consortiums with your rivals and see how you can mobilize the resources as well as the capi- political capital that is required mm. in order to deploy and execute. So, partnerships, absolutely crucial. Mm-hmm. But, but partnerships will not be enough mm. if it is not complemented by a new thinking in policy support. Mm. So, the second pillar is policy. Mm. And as I've already said, I think that the government is thinking in the right direction in terms of the opportunities that are availing, you know, themselves for us as as a, as a people in, in in the midst of COVID. But I think that we need to move beyond just just the usual case for local content. That's not enough. I think we've gotten to a point where the business case for localizing a lot of these things goes beyond just local content. It goes just beyond just a usual argument for um, for the fact that, oh, you know, global supply chains, you know, are disrupted and there's an opportunity and we should take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. I think that we should get to the point where the policy case, mm-hmm. the policy case for supporting industry to capitalize on this temporary window of opportunities, one that is grounded in a national security thinking. So think about it this way. And I alluded to it again earlier on. As a country, we should never be this vulnerable to the extent where 
some of the most critical essential commodities that we need for national survival are predominantly imported. Mm. Medicines, medical supplies, food products, just these categories. You forget about all the other consumables. But you could also include a host of fast-moving consumables. Household consumables, office consumables, industrial consumables. If we get to a, to a, a future scenario where we get something worse than COVID, and I've described the scenario already, and it's possible, the fact that COVID happened COVID means COVID. it could happen again. Mm. Now, don't forget that back in 1918, when the last great influenza pandemic happened, it happened together with the First World War. Yeah. Yeah. So it's happened before. Mm. You had a major global pandemic together with yeah. a world war. There's no reason why it cannot happen again. Mm. And it could be any other kind of disruption. It could be anything. It doesn't even have to be a pandemic or an international conflict. We, we need to come to the realization that there are significant vulnerabilities that we are exposed to mm-hmm. when certain essential goods that we, we, we need for national survival in times of crisis are predominantly imported. And that shouldn't be the case. So there's a national security and a national survival argument for localizing a certain percentage of the production of a certain category of goods and services. And I think that we need to come together as a country and say, okay, we're going to draw a list of these products. We take every sector. We draw a list of products that we consider as critical to our national survival as a people in case there's a major disruption mm-hmm. in global trade. Once we agree on what these products are, then we have a national strategy around how we localize their production. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be a move towards protectionism. Mm-hmm. It is just a case for national survival. It's extremely important. And that's why I talked about a temporary window of opportunity in the mindset and the thinking of the, of, of the rest of the world. Mm. We, we, won't be, we won't be the only ones who would be thinking like this. Mm-hmm. In the EU, they, they are initiating a major move towards localizing substantial components, wow. substantial components of their pharmaceutical and medical uh, 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 goods production. Mm-hmm. So we need to come to that realization. Once we come to that realization, it is no longer just a business case. The policy case is grounded in the in a, in a case for national security, national survival, mm. and national resilience building. Wow. And this alone is enough basis mm. for government to complement the efforts of industry and say, we need to move in a new direction. And, and I think that we need, as a country, to look at all these elements together. Because if you're just looking at it, it's just a business case for local protection, you don't get a sense of agency. Mm. You don't get a sense of agency. So partnerships at industry level and, and, and a new kind of policy, policy argument, which is grounded in a national survival argument mm-hmm. to complement the temporary business case that has been established at the industry level. Mm. By talking policy formulation, or it also includes coordination and implementation. It's really coordination and implementation. Okay. 
it's really coordination and implementation. Mm. So, so you know, at a level of policy making, you need to policy making. The job of policy making is, is to look at the whole picture. Mm-hmm. Look at the whole picture, micro, macro. Look at the industry level, national level, and balance all the different interests because there are multiple industries that need to complement each other mm-hmm. if we are supposed to do this. And if you take just pharmaceuticals, it's not just pharmaceuticals. There are several ancillary industries that will support the pharmaceutical industry to be able to capitalize on this opportunity, for example. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so it's, it's about primary production, it's about intermediate inputs, and it's about final manufacturing processes. And, and so the opportunity is across several industry verticals. You need to bring all of them together. And, and it's the job of policy to coordinate all of this. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's going to be the issue of financing and you know, the financial sector, uh, uh, the, 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 the banking industry is going to, it's going to have to play a very important role in this. Mm-hmm. And and so, yes, you're absolutely right. The role of coordination and implementation is really what this is about. So, however you look at it, the responsibility is at the industry level as well as at the national level. Mm-hmm. The national level is probably even more important. Mm-hmm. And the initial move that we saw when the president invited major capitals of industry in the early days of COVID. And I think that effort has continued. I think it needs to be sustained. But we need to add a sense of agency to it. A sense of agency that recognizes that the window of opportunity is temporary. Wow. And in order to be able to capitalize on it within this limited period, we need to mobilize and deploy and execute across multiple capab- capability elements. And no single industry entity in these times has what it takes to be able to do that. And so we need to form the right partnerships at industry level. And I think that for industry is important because when industry comes together and they are united, that's when they are able to mobilize the political capital that it takes to get policymakers and government and politicians to act and act with a sense of agency. But if industry folks are not united and they're divided, that sense of agency doesn't always dawn on decision makers. So the, the, the duty is upon industry first and foremost to form the right alliances. And I talked initially about a, partner, a partnership of rivals. Mm-hmm. If you cannot think about partnership in terms of your rivals and you're thinking about partnership just in terms of your friends, we're not going to be able to build the serious alliances and consortiums that are required Mm. And you don't necessarily need mergers. I mean, the companies don't necessarily need to merge into single entities. You just need to learn how to work together. You just need to how to to work together. You can have production consortiums Mm. where you still separate entities. You still control your companies. Mm. But in terms of a common agenda, in terms of how we localize and take advantage of this opportunity, you have a shared and a common interest. And there should be a way to go about it. Fantastic. Michael, thank you so much for these insightful ideas and we really hope that the listeners have benefited we've been talking to michael koto who's really been trying to shift with not just looking at how COVID has affected us negatively but also how we should think about the opportunity it presents and how we can benefit from it this is the city business festival brought to you by apsa thank you for listening That was Michael Koto. Don't forget, it was also brought to you by the Ghana Investment Promotion Center, GIPC.